Welcome to Brothers King Talk, the only talk show where we go year by year listening to the number one Billboard hits. My name is Samuel. And I am JP, and uh, we are going to do some absolutely amazing things today, Samuel. We are. Um, t- tonight, today, um, whenever it is, wherever you're listening, we actually have a special guest, um, one of my friends from, so this is a, the crossover event of my podcasting career. Um, I do a couple other podcasts um, called Blue Collar Love, and um, one of my co-hosts over there is Aaron Anderson. And even though that podcast is about Starflyer 59, Aaron also happens to be the biggest Prince fan I know. So Aaron, welcome. Good to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, that kind of, you know, we're kind of giving it away a little bit. Uh, We will be talking today about 1984's When Doves Cry by the artist Prince. And before we get into that, uh, I'd like to share this uh, nice fun fact here uh, with about 1984. I mean, 1984 has got so many good things, so many great things happening in it. And uh, the, the one thing that I really found was just as iconic as, uh, you know, and, you know, probably not as iconic as Prince the Artist, but definitely an iconic TV show because I'm huge in TV. The uh, sitcom TV uh, show Happy Days actually aired its very last episode on September 24th. So that uh, the, the sitcom Happy Days comes to a close in 1984. Oh, wow. I think of that as like a 70s show, I guess. I mean, it probably stretched from the 70s. Yes, it did. It, yes, it, uh, 70s to 80s, and you're right. And so, but that's that's the thing. It's like people kind of it kind of put its put your put your mind around the the show itself. Uh, I mean, yeah, it stretched all the way into the 80s, mid 80s. Very nice. Well, um, let's talk about something that is not about 50s nostalgia. Though it might have some fifties, uh, more sixties connection, we'll talk about that in a minute. The song "Wind Doves Cry" by um, the the artist formerly known as and now known again as Prince and yes. the Revolution. And first the Revolution. Um, though, era. oh, go ahead. This is the first album they have been with Prince since the pretty much Dirty Mind, um, nineteen ninety nine era. Um, but this is the first um, album where they're actually credited um, okay. on the album. And I think it's worth noting, Prince, the credits say Prince played all the instruments himself on this song. But um, to give us a little background on this, this is why we brought in the expert. Aaron, tell us about Prince. What do we need to know about Prince going into the song? Because I'll be honest, this song was not what I was expecting. Okay. Well, on this song, he played everything. Um, most of um, so how Prince usually operated, according to his um, people, his his engineers, he um, he would come in with a song in his head. He would come in, no no click track nothing. He would come in normally. He would do the he would program the drum machine or the drums or those both, record that one take, bass guitar one take guitar one take and then he would have anything else tambourines anything else 
he would record and then he would have the person the engineer leave because he had to record his vocals alone in the studio and he recorded so he would come in there's very um few print songs where he he does a demo or like reworks it he pretty much comes in lays it down Mike he comes in does some overdubs fix things here and there but pretty much 90 percent of these songs are like his first take which is insane <laughs> seriously yeah that's uh that's definitely not not the impression that you get listening to this particular track now i did want to call out this is probably the first time i've ever actually heard this particular print song um mm -hmm. and i and i did really enjoy it you know the the guitar solo part the riff in the opening the the vocal pattern just the musical direction uh that was gone with this particular song is just it's a lot of fun to listen yeah. to um but I, I will say it doesn't feel like it belongs in the 80s. It feels like it's a lot more modern and something that you might hear in the late 90s or uh, early 2000s. It just does not feel it feels like it's ahead of its time, truly. And you'll and, and, and after this, you're going to delve into Prince more and you'll hear that a lot. He was very ahead of the times. He was the, he's the first person to ever release an album on the Internet in the 90s. Wow. Yeah, he was always ahead of his time. He was just in every aspect of his career um and just talking about like the recording of this so basically um how the song came about so so during this time the song was actually recorded the the backing the original foundation was march 1st 1984. um the day before was the grammys prince lost in every category to michael jackson and some people thought that you know that was that well not thought was pretty that he it pissed him off he was like you know all right and i think and he was probably in his feelings and probably felt like you know he felt in in his career when he felt you know really hurt or something he would and we'll when we get to the lyrics we'll talk about that but um he would get very introspective and so the day after that um february 29th leap year 1984 the grammys happened and the next day he records the the backing the basic track which is basically the 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 Lynn drum machine and the drums he recorded on March 1st March 2nd he comes in and does the the bass guitars all that stem this the string stems all that um the third they do a mix 4th of March boom 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 pretty much done and then um so it's around March 5th. So they're filming. So so they're filming the movie Purple Rain that's going to come out later, um, July 27th today, 1984. And so so they're editing the movie. And so the the Prince had already submitted the the tracks that he was going to submit for the movie. And at this point, he had like a hundred songs. So they had the eight or whatever that was whatever. So the director comes to him as he's editing the intro scene to the movie. For those who've seen it. There's like a there's an overview of Minneapolis where Prince is riding his motorcycle and you see different parts of the city because Prince really wanted to highlight Minneapolis and say he wanted that to be like a character in the movie. Like New York is in a lot of movies. And Prince was a huge movie fan, which I'm like, okay, whatever. And so he comes to Prince on March the 5th. Um, it's like, hey, look, I'm editing together. Like, I know, like, we need a song to, like, tie this together because I'm trying to do this B-roll, basically, from what happens at the beginning to get you so get you to where you are and Prince like all right cool 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 so he goes back and he's like oh I'm on so the next day he gives him when doves cry the sixth and so the seventh of March it's edited so that scene that you see in the movie the director with the sound ed edits that scene into the movie 
So March the 1st to March 7th, the song goes from just an idea in Prince's head to being solidified, to being edited into the movie. That's how fast he moved. Literally less than a week. I mean, like starting on the 1st and then the 7th, that's, that's, yeah, six, seven days. And that is just, that is absolutely insane uh, to really kind of think about how, how quickly this song came together. Yeah. And that's how he Yeah, I... I was uh, not expecting that at all. Um, really, this song is not what I was expecting at all. I was expecting a power ballad because, you know, yeah. when you have an artist um, as creative and uh, experimental as Prince, usually those type of artists, it's their, like, power ballads or that get the become the number one radio hits. And nope, this was not that. So, and, and just to drive the point home more and, um, on the second, so so the first he does just the drums and stuff. The second day where he does the bulk of the work, that was 16 hours, basically. The, the song came together. And he did everything in 16 hours, everything. And that's, think, about that's, think about bands you listen to. Bands who have multiple people, how long it takes for them to get the drums right in a song. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, so it's so it's so interesting that, I mean, that the, I think that really stands to reason as to how uh, how versatile uh, an artist like Prince was because uh, coming together with a song that was able to then become the number one hit of the year. Yeah. I mean, and you said it was it was in in March, so I mean they had there was plenty of other chances, plenty of other art music released in the year of 1984, and yet this song is the one that was still uh, the best of the best, and it was made so early in the year in such a short time, it was still that uh, that. Uh, essentially sought after, so to speak. And another thing that's in Prince, I don't know if you know the, the, this, but there's no bass guitar in When Doves Cry. Did you know that? There's no bass guitar? I did, actually. I'm going to talk about it in a minute, actually. So okay. We'll talk. Okay, but that has some more stuff behind that. But, yeah, so that's so that's how the song came together. And so that's the background of how it came into the world. <laughs> well, that's that's awesome. Uh, that leads us kind of into a nice segue into talking about the music itself. Uh, so, Samuel, you you seem like you want to kick this part off, so I'll, I'll let you take a take a your take on the music, so to speak. All right. So, um, I was not expecting this guitar song to open with a guitar solo. Um, that just I was like, oh, what? What's this? <laughs> um, great, classy way to open a song. Now, it's funny, you guys both say this doesn't sound like the 80s. To me, this song, from the moment I hear that drum sense, I immediately, the, the drum machine, the moment I hear that, I'm immediately transferred to the 80s. I associate drum machines with, you know, Genesis, um, with Bon Jovi, etc. So I just, to me, drum machines, since that's very 80s. So I find it interesting that you guys don't hear the 80s in this um and i did point out that the song interestingly contains no bass line which um one suggestion i read which i kind of like suggests that the the lack of a bass line especially for a song like art um prince is a very um funk inspired artist so no bass line is crazy to me and mm-hmm. it suggested that the lack of a bass line is made to make the song feel like off um, like so something is missing or something is not right much like the relationship being depicted um you know the relationship that the song is talking about something is missing something is off um 
And I really kind of love that where the instruments tell the story. Um, so music wise, I feel like comparisons to Michael Jackson are unavoidable, but I like Prince's voice a lot more. And I think um, his musical talent, um, if nothing else, his kind of diversity is uh, a, a leap ahead of uh, Michael Jackson. So that's my music thoughts. You know, uh, I, I have to agree with you there. The 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 intro to the with the guitar solo actually just completely set the song up for success. Um, from the very beginning, it was way different than what I ever would have expected uh, from a Prince song. And, you know, it, it's kind of interesting because I, I guess I just had uh, an idea of what, you know, what kind of music that Prince performed because the only real ever exposure that I had was when I saw Prince perform at the Super Bowl. I think that was 2006, something like that. That was 2006, that's, that's, yes, because that was the only Super Bowl I've ever actually watched. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that was my really my only exposure to uh, him as an as an artist. But I I don't know maybe just the the musicality of the song. Uh, you're right. I felt like it was missing something. It was missing something that was just um, it, it just felt like it was starting to fall flat after listening to it for a little bit. But I think the overall vocal talent of Prince is really what just redeemed this song for me because the vocal melody to listen to is just so pleasing to listen to. And you can really enjoy listening to the rise and the fall and the melody produced by the, the voice. And, and I mean, I've talked about this so many times. I love the use of the vocal uh, ability as an instrument in itself. It is, it's, it's so much more than just the words, but it's how they are sung and the, and the melody produced. Uh, I did also like the the synth and the keyboards and everything. It was just a nice variety, but it it really felt like it f fell into the same trap as the 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 loop of the drum beat because it just was so similar. It didn't feel like it had a whole lot of variety, but it was uh, a nice change of pace. But I really just cannot stress enough how much I loved the the vocal melodies presented in uh, the song. Okay. Well, um, yeah, the Super Bowl, that was February um, 2007, was that, that's when that was, and that was a great show. Um, but yeah, I'm with you, like, I've heard this song, obviously, like, I became a Prince fan in 1994, so God, I can't even know, I can't even count how many times I heard the song, probably at least 500 times, and I, I, luckily I was able to hear it live in 2001 in D.C., and um, he does, he, well, during that tour, he did it completely different. It was more of a, there was definitely bass guitar in it. And it was more like a, more of a party, funkier. And it was like, a, I think it was like 12, 15 minute long version. And at that point, I was so sick. I was over when Doves Cry. And I remember when you hear the opening, he does it opening guitar. I'm like, oh God, okay. I, he has to play this song, of course. But then it goes into this whole different arrangement. I was like, oh, and it's just like, it's like a totally different song. And he did that a lot with songs like um, live. And that's what's the saddest part about him passing is because he would do these arrangements live that would just like unlock songs in a different way. And so as far as the bass goes, it was in there and they were mixing. And Prince just, he, he just felt like it was just too much. And so he just decides just to pull the bass out and just um, in the mix, just pull it out. And um, the you know mixer was like, "Are you sure? You know, like you can't have a funk song without bass. This is crazy." And Prince, I don't know if this is you know he has a mythology to himself, but 
when asked about that, he says, you know, you know, you, I know you need bass and music, but you know, BAS, that's a fish, you know, I'm doing BASE, <laughs> you know, the base of the song is the, the, the drum machine. And so that's what he saw it as like, you don't need the bass guitar because of the, the, the drum machine, which is layered three times is the bass. So musically, I love the extended version. I don't know which version y'all listen to, but um, I prefer the, the outro um, with all the strings, which was, a song he recorded previously called Traffic Jam that still hasn't been released. That part, that ending part, the, the synth strings and everything, that was from that song he kind of put into the song. Hopefully we'll hear that that full version of that song one day. I don't know. But musically, yeah, I'm with you. I wouldn't say that it's definitely 80s influence. I mean, because, I mean, Prince was the only artist. He created a whole music scene by himself. The Time, Sheila E., all these other artists, Jill Jones, it just goes on forever. He literally was writing music for like seven, eight bands, creating a whole scene by himself in the eighties. And so that mm -hmm. Lynn drum that you hear is very eighties because Prince was like giving, and then people he gave to the Bangles, Shania Connor, all these other people were recording Prince songs because, and he used the Lynn drum. So that's why when you think of the eighties, you hear that because that was Prince. He pretty much wrote like half. Half the songs in the 80s. Mm. Um, it's madness. So that's another thing why he was writing music for himself and these other people. He was, you know, just ridiculous. So, um, but yeah, musically, it's, um, I listen to it now still. And like, although I've heard it a million times, it's still, I can still hear it as being a unique song. And yeah, and I'm, and I agree with you, JP. It's, it, it's, and I think that's what really um, stands out about this song because it sounds weird. And like a lot of people, when they first heard it, like the, the Morris Day from the time when he said, when he first heard it, he was like, man, where's the bass in this? And like, that was the <laughs> thing. Like, and then the, the drummer, Mac Fink from the, I'm sorry, the keyboardist from the revolution, when he heard it, um, he was like, what? Yeah, everyone, like you're, like you both said, like you hear that the bass isn't there and it's like jaunting and like whatever. And but um, when Prince recorded, it in the studio like the his recorder he, she was um the engineer said peggy mccurdy so like you could see he was he, he knew he had a hit he was so happy when he was recording it and that night when he finished for on the on the um the third when he pretty i'm mean, second when he did the bulk of the recording he had a cassette rough mix he went to like um wendy and lisa from the revolution woke him up at four o'clock in the morning said get in the car let's listen to this and he like he was like so over because he knew he had a hit he was like this is it i know this is great so he knew no one else did <laughs> well it's so interesting that you talk about you know seeing it live and how artists uh like he he could kind of do a different arrangement and that just speaks to the idea that music is constantly evolving and yeah. it's like you, you know when you go into a studio you lay down a track and you go for it in you know one take like you were talking about in one week it, it's you know the more that it evolves in your mind the more that it grows and and changes uh, you want to be able to share that with with people that love the music, that love the song, and and want to share the differences and the changes. And so, uh, you know, I, I think someone uh, that is as prolific as Prince, that is constantly trying to improve the music and make it be more true to what is in your mind, so to speak. Because when you, like you say, you got a picture, you go into a studio, you try to put that onto paper, you try to put that onto recording, but it, it, it's never quite what you expect it or want it, and you try to do everything you can to make it perfect. But sometimes the only real time to make it perfect is on stage live, and so it's just kind of crazy when you when you really think about it like that. 
and that was the thing with Prince when he recorded, like, and they say he didn't care about perfection. He just wanted it down. He just wanted it out of the system to get on to the next thing. But he would, but when they were, like, when they performed live, like, and you'll hear, they would have grueling rehearsals. Like, they would have, like, month-long, hour-long. Like, he would, they would do, like, a three, four-hour sound check or rehearsal before each show. <laughs> crazy so, so yeah he so on stage was perfection but in studio he was like let's just get it down so we can get to the next thing that's why he didn't do demos or overdubs and stuff. he was just like it's done on to the next thing right <laughs> exactly <laughs> all right jp give me your take on the lyrics here you know the lyrics the lyrics paint a picture and you know uh, so i the the version that i listen to i like to try if i can to always find a music video version um, so that's the version that I listened to of this song. It was about maybe three and a half minutes. And I felt like they paint a picture really well, even if I wasn't watching the music video in, in uh, it, it gave this uh, clear perception of someone who is lost, uh, you know, lost a lover, a relationship, uh, someone that is there's clearly so much stress. And it's clearly, I, I think, brought on by the narrator and you know saying maybe i'm maybe i'm just too demanding maybe i'm never satisfied it seems clear that they're trying to place blame on themselves but at the same time they're trying to pull them back and say look at the things that we can have together look at the things we we can do better than what we've got and so i i think ultimately this paints just this this um ambiguous ending because it doesn't end with a uh you know a positive uh you know yes you know we're back together great whatever um it, it's less of that and it's more just kind of fading out into this idea of you know this is what's happening this is who i am accept me or or not we can have amazing things to come back to but you know these are the things these are my flaws we have to we have to accept them with or without uh us as individuals you know uh, we have to accept people as an entirety of a person not just for the things that are great or the things that are bad people are not uh it's not black and white it, 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 there's this whole area of gray that people truly fall into and we have to accept kind of where we are at with that or is it a whole entire area of purple they fall into there you go <laughs> exactly right <laughs> So, so that's that's what I felt. That's what I felt with the uh, with the with the lyrics. I I follow a similar path. Um, I I followed a more distinct story in my head with this. Um, I found this a the lyrics as a, a fascinating a study of like two people in an extremely passionate, physical, and ultimately volatile relationship. And JP, me and you have talked about with songs past how a lot of songs are all lust and no relationship, right? Absolutely. Um, this song, I feel like, gets that dynamic right where he loves her very passionately, but something's wrong. And it shows that fallout that's going to happen when your relationship's off and um, and there's no longer any connection there. And this can apply to romantic relationships, which is the obvious thing. But really, any relationship, um, you know, the closer you get to people, the greater the potential for you guys to hurt each other is. And um, the greater the consequences when something bad does happen. And I appreciate a song that delves into this is just a song of consequences saying, 
this situation is so bad. And um, I was reading Genius lyrics, and it, it one of the things it constantly pointed out is doves is a universal symbol of peace. And sometimes our relationships get like so nasty and so bad that it makes you know a, a universal symbol of peace want to cry. Um, because we, while we are in the midst of this, we always long for peace, even in the midst of all this stupid human messy relationships that are happening. And, um, you know, even though it doesn't give any easy answers, I prefer that. I'm glad it doesn't give any easy answers because I want it to, um, I want it to kind of rest in that uneasiness and make you deal with those emotions. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's my take on these lyrics. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I completely agree. I'm sorry, man. No, I was just saying, I completely agree with, uh, just everything he's saying, you know, it's, it's life is, life is messy. Life doesn't have a, a nice, neat answer, uh, but I think it's it's done really well here. I and like I've listened to this song, like I said, hundreds of times, and like the lyric um, I've interpreted when this is what it sounds like when doves cry. To me, I've always interpreted that as like just you know it's you know the story he's telling, like all this messiness. This is what happens when two doves, two people who love each other, are fighting. But like, but I like what you said, Sam, about like. When, when lovers fight, it's so sad that even the universal symbol of peace cries. That's it. That's, that's, I really like that. That's deep. And and um, so this is so I'm glad you mentioned the video, JP. It came out in June. The album came out in June, and so did the video for this. And then the movie came out in July, and um, of '84. And this song, um more than likely was um about his um a relationship he had with um susan monsey who's in the purple rain movie she's part of apollonia six which is a band that's in the movie that's also a band prince wrote for it. and they were having an obvious lot of lyrics things weren't going great <laughs> let's just say that and, and <laughs> yeah and, and in the movie um um, Prince's um, insinuates because it's semi autobiographical, but with Prince, who knows this rule or not? He his whole mythology, he he created a lot of that. So, in the movie, his dad's abusive to his mom, and um, so how much of that is true, we'll never know. But according to like people who know him, who've met his dad, they're like, I don't know, maybe he he doesn't like abusive guy, but who knows when doors close? So. And so, so the song's about an actual rock relationship. And when Prince was 14, I'm, I'm sure if you guys know, he was 14, his dad kicked him out the house because Prince was having sex with girls in the house and dad wasn't willing to accept that. So he kicked him out. He tried to go to his mom's house for a lot of reasons I'm going to get into right now. There's lots of reasons or rumors she, she didn't accept him. So Prince in Minneapolis in like fall, and when he was 14 years old, was in a phone booth crying, calling his dad to please take him back, and he wouldn't. So he ended up um, hooking up with his friend, um, Andre Simone, um, Andre Anderson, also known as Andre Simone from the band Shalimar from the 80s, if you know that. I'm not sure. Um, and so he basically, for the rest of his, um, until he, you know, um, when he was 14, till he was 19, when he um, started his music career, um, he stayed with his friend Andre Simone. So I think a lot of that song is also to do with his parents and his and he had a very strange relationship with his parents and I mean until they died. Um so I think a lot of that, um, the relationship that he was having with with Susan Monsey, I, th I, I think in the song I feel like there's a lot of parallels he was seeing between his parents and them. 
and that pain and hurt. And and you're right. It, it's a very vivid picture. And Stevie Wonder, even um, in an interview after Prince died, he said, you know, if you don't know, Stevie Wonder's blind. But he said the reason why Prince is one of his favorite artists, because he said, I can see his music. And he mentioned when Doves Cry, Raspberry Beret and uh, some other songs like he's very underrated as a lyricist. I mean, he's, you know, prolific and great guitars and all that stuff. But um, he, he like you both said, he, he does a great job painting pictures with his lyrics where you can see what's going on. And I think that's very overlooked. And like you said, Sam, too, the depth of that, because he has a lot of just straight up less less songs. So he's just talking about we're not going to get into, (laughs) but this song shows. (laughs) Yeah, maybe maybe not on this episode. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but it shows his range where he can also describe an actual relationship in human terms. And you're right. There's no resolution. There's no easy answer because there's not easy answers in romantic relationships. If they were easy, then everybody it would be successful for everyone. And nobody would care about love breakup songs. And so he does. a, And so lyrically, I'm with you. He does a great job of painting this picture of a person who is seeing the parallels of his upbringing live, being played out in real time in his current relationships and not knowing what the hell to do about it. And that's how I see the song. I mean, I, there's no resolution in that. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's lyrically what I take away from this song. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, uh, it's uh, I mean, we, we kind of come back to it. And, and, you know, at the very end, the first on the on first listen through, you probably feel it, you, you might listen to it and you might be like, why doesn't this end? This needs to this needs to get somewhere like uh, whether that is moving on, getting back together, something it needs to end somewhere. But I, I think that's meant to be like that. It's meant to be ambiguous. It's meant to end in a in a place where you feel uncomfortable just kind of like something is missing kind of like what we've been talking about with the music and so it, it really it it puts itself together and it is so much deeper than i think just a song but it, it takes it, it having the backstory and i appreciate you being here and i appreciate you giving us the backstory because i would have never known a lot of that information um you know had i sought it out myself and probably on first listen i probably wouldn't have done that um so it's it's really amazing to just kind of get your head around this this idea of this song is made this way on purpose it's not an accident that it sounds like this and that's that's just fantastic and um prince um he had two doves at paisley park called majesty and god what's that oh god destiny majesty and destiny or serenity maybe serenity and majesty anyway he had two doves when you come in the front door and there it's like a bird cage and sadly one of them died this year but um (laughs) but he um but it was clearly a very important song to him he knew it um billboard um um, rolling stone says the 52 best song ever in history of the top 500 and fans love it and yeah and I, it's so beloved and i think that tension there is was on purpose i'm glad that's there because the year he died 2016 it re-entered the billboard 100 at number eight and because i think that a lot of fans because that unresolved that tension because you know that time i mean like if you're a real prince fan, I was a sh- part of my friends was a shitty time, and like when he passed, like and that song, that's and I meant to mention that. So now we're talking about since his death, I can listen to this song with new ears, and I hear it differently because the passing of him and the talent that was lost, the ten- there's no resolution for that, and that tension is in that song, and so that song's like had a rebirth in his death, and I think a lot of people felt that, and that's probably why 
it got back to the number eight. Like, God, that song's from '84. You know? <laughs> yeah, seriously, seriously. All right. Uh, well, well, we have definitely been talking for a while, uh, but that's that's okay. We're t- we're having some good conversation. I'm learning personally. I'm learning a lot. Um, so let's let's get into some ratings. If uh, you know, we'll we'll do our best to actually you know rate it and keep it uh, true to what we what we believe about it. So uh, Samuel. Let's hear from you. Uh, what you got? What you ended up rating I, this song on our scale? That's probably a good idea because I think I probably have the lowest rating out of the three of us. Um, so music, I gave a two. Um, you know, it's I don't know. It's it's not necessarily my cup of tea. I'm more of an alternative rock guy, but I appreciate its artistry. Um, like this song is. A wonderfully crafted pop song at the end of the day um, i think it serves as a time capsule into the year it was made and it serves as good tribute um if you listen to it, a lot of motown and funk roots um you know this reminds me of like old miracles or temptations especially the way he sings um i i think it just comes down to personal taste i personally do not love this song but i appreciate its ambition so music, I give it to lyrics. I had 1.5, but the more we sat here and talked about it, I had to bump it up. I gave it a two on lyrics. Um, and overall, I give it a 1.5. I don't feel like the song, I don't feel like it ages well in the fact that it sounds timeless. I think it sounds like a time capsule in a good way, but I don't see this song ever being successful outside of Prince or outside of the years it was made. Like, yes, it reentered the charts, but that was because Prince died. Outside of those two things, I don't ever see this song being excessively big. So me personally, um, I give uh, this song a 5.5 out of 9. Okay. Okay, that's you know that's that's a fair rating. Uh, you know, I think uh, I I did as we kind of had this conversation. My rating did go up just a little bit, just as a more of a understanding about the 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 how the song was produced and and how how it did well what it did. Uh, so I ended up giving the music a solid two. Uh, I felt like there was some things that were just missing and although i do understand the point of the missing baseline or uh the the fact that it was you know laid down in one take things like that i i appreciate that but i still think that it was you know overly simplistic in terms of the drum beat and the the synth but the vocals just the vocal melody just really stands out so i ended up giving it a two there the lyrics just paint such a fantastic picture and are such a uh, a, a solid interpretation of true relationship, true love, true loss. And yes, it's it's got things, it's got lust, it's got love, it's got relationship, it's got the messiness of life in it, and it's so well uh, captured. So I gave that a 2.5. And then overall, I had to give it a 3. Uh, I, I haven't really looked over the charts, but I'm pretty sure uh, this is the only time we see a Prince song on our charts. Which is a shame because, I mean, he was such an influential artist. And, uh, I mean, yes, we saw it re-enter, you know, in 2016 when Prince passed away. And I still think that it 
is a song that you can go back to, listen to, and I can hear that it's ahead of its time in in my view, and I can hear that it is just ready to be uh, picked up by any person. This is the type of song where I think if you point to it and say, you know, you need a print song to listen to, check this one out. See see what you think about this one. I mean, that's exactly what happened to me. I mean, that I, I listened to this for the first time, and now it makes me want to go listen to more. So I gave it an overall three uh, for a total score of seven and a half out of nine, which is definitely a very high score uh, compared to some of the other songs uh, that I've talked similarly about. All right, well, I mean... All right, Aaron, take us home. (laughs) All right, and to your point, though, I mean, a song re-entering... Can can you see an R.E.M. song from the 80s re-entering in 2016 for any reason at number eight? What other artists? I mean, David Bowie, when he died, did any of his songs re-enter the top ten? You know, so I get your point, but that's still rare that that happens. You know, a song that old, like, nothing from the 70s and 80s for David Bowie. I'm pretty sure, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm sure, sure it didn't break the top ten on billboard i'm sure his new album that the death star album might have but nothing from his previous career but um that's fair so enough yeah it's yeah. yeah and and so um for me um musically i hear you and it, it still sounds dated to me especially because prince did so much too and he was always forward thinking but um to me though um i'm with you it, it's 80s but again prince created that sound like and i get you know, because, you know, when you're born and everything, but this is the sound he created. And so can you really fault him for a sound he created? It's like, um, like not like a Nirvana for the grunge sound, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, um, so I give the music a three because he did it. He's, he's not being derivative. He's not stealing from anyone else. This is the sound he created. Um and then music, um, lyrically, of course, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's pretty deep. He has some pretty superfluous lyrics to some of the songs and some terrible ones, too. But th- not, this is not it. Um, so I give it a three, too. And then overall, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a, I mean, it's when doves cry, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, there's, uh, there's Lucy with diamonds in her eyes. There's Thriller. There's when doves cry, the Bohemian Rhapsody. It's like these pop culture songs that are like the Mount Everest where they're just that, you know, it's like, you can't not like it. I mean, I ranked like of the the time, the, the 1000 released print songs just under his name, not stuff he did for everyone else. I ranked this 27th on my list of like a thousand print songs. I mean, it's amazing, you know, and even though I've listened to it a millions of times, it's still, I can get something out of it and years later it's transformed. So yeah, you know, not enough. <laughs> And that's and you know that you can't uh, I I can't fault you for that you you've got such a deep appreciation and love for the artist and the music and I mean that's that's completely acceptable I mean you you could definitely see things probably past what myself or what Samuel could see past uh, and and so it has such a deeper meaning and I'm glad we had you on I mean this is such a such a fantastic perspective I mean being able to see something from a perspective of someone who just has such a deep appreciation for it is is really uh something we've never really done before uh which is super exciting i mean the only other time that we've even had a guest on was when we covered a song that we really felt like we weren't prepared to cover for and that was uh that was uh 
Rod Stewart song, and we had my mom on because oh, nice. we just we just we're like this song isn't for us. This song isn't <laughs> like I we can't do it justice the way that it needs to be. Mm-hmm. And so we brought in someone that was a you know a young adult teenager at the time. So and it worked, and I think it it did really well. So uh, you know I I just think thank you so much for being on here and helping us out with this one. Well, in '87, you can have me back over for Kiss because Kiss was in the morning hit in '87. <laughs> well, I think they weren't on this list, but sadly, no, 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 no the song "Kiss" by Prince. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Which, which is another song he took the bass out of. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely our 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 year end. I mean, we're definitely getting into some some songs that are are very well known. Um, yeah, '87. So I'm actually looking at our list right now. 87, uh, it actually is Walk Like an Egyptian by the Bangles. He might have wrote that one. I'm not sure. Hold on. <laughs> Hold on. Let me check that out. Yeah, he wrote Manic Monday for him, so he might have wrote that one. Too. Interesting. Either way, we went a bit long, but we thank yeah. you guys for sticking out because um, we figured it'd be fun to take this time to really delve deep into a song. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us over Thanks to uh, help us go deep into this Um if anyone is interested, me and Aaron will spend hours um, talking about either a band called Starflyer 59 over on Blue Car Love or another band named Daniel Amos over on Strong Points, Weak Points. And um, I'll throw those links in the description if anyone feels like listening to those. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Peace in the Middle East. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, just as a uh, closeout, if you needed to get a reminder, We've been talking about 1984's When Doves Cry by the artist Prince. And as always, my name is Samuel. And my name is JP. This has been a Brothers King Media production. Mm-hmm.